Welcome to the Bikepack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance racers from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. The Bike Pack Adventures Podcast is proudly supported by Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Tailfin Bikepacking Equipment, Montan Sports Canada, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery. Their continued support allows me to focus my efforts on providing you amazing content. Now let's get rolling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. Uh, not too much to talk about this week before, um, sharing this newest episode with you, but I will say that I got a lot of that not fun stuff I was talking about in the last episode done. So that is all good stuff. Uh, shelves are great. They're fully loaded of stuff in the garage. The bar looks sweet. Uh, the car is just a couple coats of paint away from being ready to get on the road again. So yeah. Happy days. I almost feel like I can rest again. I went on a bit of a bikepacking overnighter, which I'm going to talk about in an upcoming episode. Uh, so I'm not going to get too far into it, but I decided to use my gravel bike with studded tires because there was no snow at the time. It was just wet and yucky out. I did a 90 kilometer loop from my house and uh, camped not too far away. Just wanted to keep it local. Uh, but I did want to stay outside and test out that new quilt and sleep outside under the stars. And it was pretty sweet. I actually really enjoyed it. I also had to be back early in the morning to help take care of my daughter when my wife would have to start work and get into some meetings and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I got out on a mini adventure as much as I could. And uh, then I came home like a responsible adult. So anyways... If you have been enjoying the podcast and feel that you're in a position to contribute and to help keep this thing going, every penny counts, of course. Every penny helps uh, is what I meant to say. But yeah, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And by becoming a Patreon, you get early access to uh, episodes. So I'm trying to put them up one week earlier on Patreon. Uh, You also get the uncut version. So I'll have... uh, It doesn't always... uh, mean it's a ton of talking prior to and after the recording but i try to start the the recording right away and so long as we're not talking about something that should be kept confidential i try to leave it in and uh share with you you know the 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 uncut version of the podcast so um or not really uncut the extras with the extras you can also do a one-time donation through paypal if that is something you'd be interested in as well i'm going to try to get links to all that stuff up on the website it's been redesigned and i'm still working on some of those things and fine-tuning it so uh yeah bear with me and if that's something you can always shoot me an email at chris at bikepackadventures.ca cool uh now let's jump into the episode in this episode of the Bikepack Adventures podcast, I have the chance to record a second episode of Ty Doman as we take a deep dive into bag making. 
I'm not exactly sure if Ty likes making bags or riding bikes more, but he's pretty passionate about the two of them. When COVID locked down the state he was living in in Australia, he on a whim decided to pull out an old sewing machine and upcycle some old outdoor gear and make himself a bag. As it just so happens, he did a pretty darn good job and had a blast along the way. Over the next several years, Ty got more and more into bike bag making, bought bigger and better machines, and started selling bags to support his addiction. Um, I mean, hobby. Very stoked to have had a chance to speak with Ty again and learn the ins and outs of bag making and for putting me on the right track to try something new. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you decide to quote and make a bag after this, please feel free to shoot me a picture or send a message. Cheers. Ty, good to see you again. G'day, mate. How you doing? Yeah, really good. Excited. I can talk about sewing just as much as I can talk about bikes. I love them. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited for this. You know, I was trying to prepare and I was like, I have no idea where to start with questions. So I didn't know exactly where to start with bags, but uh, maybe yeah. the easy intro to it is like, hey, how did you get into making bags? And uh, what happened there? Like, how did how did this blow up for you? Yeah, I think it was, it was one of those um, things where you start paying all this money for all of this year that you is a compromise really and every bike is different it's all very expensive um custom gear is absolutely great but you know when you're starting out it's all expensive mm-hmm. um and so yeah we ended up with a really uh, crappy commercial sewing machine in the house for about probably two or three years and i think it was only used uh once when chelsea tailored some work pants and then it sat there until covid happened and um i eventually got so bored we, we didn't have huge lockdowns in australia but it was long enough for me to get a bit um antsy and i pulled the sewing machine out yeah, thinking, yeah. all right this is a perfect opportunity and for some reason i could sew so um uh without looking at any youtube videos or anything i just made up some um wind wind mitts for on the bike so just some yeah, yeah. you know old cortex jacket cut it up sewed it and i thought it was going to be hours of work of me like you know unstitching but for some reason i could just do it um, it's only now that I've sort of uh, my family made me aware that my grandma and my great auntie were both seamstresses. So we're just mm. sort of wondering if it's something in the blood. But um, yeah, I didn't I didn't know anything. I hadn't even touched them at school. Um, yeah. uh, my brother my brother was a year or two ahead of me at school, and I just used to hand in his home economics projects, the sewing projects, because changed the curriculum. <laughs> So I literally hadn't touched anything. And um, and then it was a, a really steep learning curve of just reverse engineering things that I already had. Um, and, you know, one of the benefits of making your own gear is that you don't need to over-engineer everything. So if you look at a, a saddlebag as a perfect example from sure. a big maker, it'll be so over-engineered it's not even funny because they don't know if you're going to be carrying bricks in it, you know, Right. They can't. So if you look at like the Ortlieb ones, they're, they're, you know, they last forever. Um, You know, they are wicked good bags. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess that's why, right? Like you could probably carry bricks in them and they probably won't fall apart on you. Yeah. 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 And this is what the makers uh, have to do. So everything, um, you know, is double stitch, triple stitch, reinforced, all these different things. If you know what you're going to put in a saddlebag, for instance, I made a saddlebag that was only big enough to fit a puffer jacket and some other soft clothing and it was single stitch there were no stiffeners the straps were in the right place and the shape was there and it took me a couple of prototypes but it it weighed nothing and i could make it at home on a domestic sewing machine 
so you start realizing things like this and um and you start making all these little projects even little bags to carry specific items and keep all your cooking gear together or whatever right, right. it starts growing from there i never thought i would ever make a frame bag and then um uh, i started learning more and more about you know needles and thread and what a machine can do and ended up um sort of graduating to a a newer domestic machine and then finding out that at the old vintage machines the old singers especially are all steel and they're, they're a semi-industrial machine in some ways and you can start um manufacturing things with really really hardy fabrics exactly oh. the same stuff that you buy from a cottage maker and it's all about the practice and and you know being able to make that square corner and then putting the binding there and doing zippers and all these things so it started growing uh from there but i think the biggest thing that happened for me was the fact that in australia i had to buy all my fabrics from the u.s right where most of the outdoor fabric uh suppliers were and uh, number one the fabrics weren't cheap but the postage was a bit uh crazy you know if you're just making stuff for yourself yeah so so i decided to start making very simple things and selling them so really simple um handlebar rolls that were just basically for a puffer jacket and nothing else and mm-hmm. stem bags and then it just that was where it uh started to snowball from so as soon as i started getting money an income from that i started buying more fabrics started buying uh-huh. new machines and so that was the trigger because if you make if you have five bikes and you make five frame bags you're not going to start throwing them away and making new frame bags when you that's right you eventually hit to the point where you're like okay i'm done i have nothing i need to make now unless i just go and reinvent a new design of the bag i created for my first bike or whatever exactly so occasionally i um i thank all of my previous customers um for giving me the opportunity to improve um and you know and you know, you can adjust your prices accordingly. At the start, I was selling full frame bags for seventy-five to a hundred dollars, and then it's super sort of cheap. Yeah, because yeah, and and no one ex- <clears throat> people are happy because um, you know, you're helping them out, and, yeah. and most of those I haven't seen a broken one yet, so maybe they're all still out there working. But, all those triple stitches uh, are good. <laughs> yeah. So and then um, you know, just before I left Australia, I think probably the last uh, eight months I was there, I had a full sewing room set up with you know five or so machines one of them oh, wow. was a, a 40 kilogram industrial um cylinder arm machine that basically exists for making bags and i can sort of <clears throat> sew through anything i've even repaired shoes with that so from that to like three years earlier sitting in um in lockdown with a really really terrible domestic machine um yeah a lot of there's been a lot of water under the bridge but um, yeah, the fact that we we did our just did our seven month ten thousand kilometer trip fully loaded and nothing broke was um, a huge there huge relief. So, yeah, I always wonder yeah. about like sewing, you know, because uh, like I, I told you earlier tonight, um, I got a uh, Singer machine. It's an old one. I'm not yep. sure what year, but it's a 191J. Yeah, it's the uh, uh, 60s. Yeah, so that's the 60s to the early 70s. Yeah, so, yeah. and um, super heavy. I mean, carrying yeah. it down the stairs was a mission. Um, yeah you know basically side hobbling and hopefully not to fall um yeah yeah but yeah my mom she's got a nicer machine she she makes my dad's pants and stuff because he's a big dude and he's never comfortable in the pants that he buys in stores so she just 
makes him like you know cotton whatever polyester pants whatever you know like pants yeah um yeah. and then my dad he makes his own cushions for the chairs and his sailboat and yeah. stuff and because he's like yeah. you know same kind of idea he's like i'm not gonna pay somebody to do it for me it's super expensive and um it's all custom stuff so it's yeah it's, you can't just order it you know yeah yeah um so on that note, that's where I decided, you know what? I'm going to make a frame bag for my fat bike this winter because why yeah. the hell not? Um, yeah. So I'll figure it all out. And so rather than look at wikis and reddits and YouTube videos, I'm just going to talk to Ty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be the series name, Talking with Ty, Learning Shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's really cool though. Like I, I, I know a few people that make bags and... Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, I'm going to, well, probably not easy, but it's relatively easy to make a bag, but it's probably hard to make a bag look good. Yes. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Know. Like, uh, I'm thinking like, it's easy to make something that'll look like, oh, it looks kind of ripply and wonky and it's, you know, but to make it look good and be fully functional and stuff, it's, it's like the next level. Yeah. And I think it's still, it all depends on uh, where you what you're aiming for there's a lot of really really cool slightly dodgy looking bags out there that are people but they function perfectly i've seen um a lot of different techniques for yeah. using bags for, for manufacturing bags so you know you've got zips you've got roll tops you know a zipper isn't an easy thing to install in a bag and there's also you know there's ways of making it a roll top frame bag instead that's true and i have so, seen some of those they're pretty cool yeah so you've removed that sort of uh, technical difficulty and done something else and then you know there's even a guy I think occasionally his photos pop up online and he hand made a frame bag out of leather you know hand stitched it you know oh that's so wild as long as it holds your stuff in there and um, yeah you're good to go but uh, there's a lot of different options out there yeah so um, where, how do we jump into this topic then I guess what's um, for people out there that are interested in trying yeah. this um, maybe maybe just kind of touching base on what things do we need? Obviously yeah. a sewing machine. I mean, well, not yeah. obviously, I guess you could do it by hand, but yeah. it'd probably be a, a long and arduous process. Yeah. So I think um, getting into it, it's a little bit like, you know, there's two types of people out there who are getting into bikepacking. There's the ones who buy all the gear and then go bikepacking and figure out what they like and don't like and then buy and sell and sort of do it that way. Or you just start with what you've got. So you've got all your backpacking mm -hmm. gear or whatever. You've got your tent that you took on high school camp um, and you go out. So it's a little bit the same with a sewing machine. You could technically buy any sewing machine. Um, secondhand market is amazing, especially after COVID. And they're really cheap. Tried, like, yeah, a lot yeah. of people tried to pick them up. So there's two ways to go about it. You can buy a vintage sewing machine. Um, for instance, like you said that you've got a Singer 191J, which is a really heavy, uh, a really well-made Singer sewing machine. And everything inside of that would be steel. There's no plastic. And yeah. that, that was made in the 1960s, but it's just as good now. Um, if it's, you can actually service yourself. There's, there's plenty of um, online you know, resources to show you how to service mm. it. So, my first vintage machine was a Singer 201, which is very similar to yours. And I picked it up for uh, $150, um, which is roughly the same in Canadian. And it looked like it had come from the dump. And I spent two or three hours just learning about it and cleaning it and, and doing everything. <clears throat> and it just hummed along as a perfect yeah. machine. And that is a little bit like 
a single speed mountain bike. It has no features. It just sews in a straight <laughs> line. It doesn't have zigzag. It doesn't. Okay, have so I was going to ask that. Like, I don't even know what this machine can do. I'm assuming there's not yeah. too many options. It's uh... no, it, it's got reverse, which which was a feature that they put on in the in the early fifties, which is nice. Um, and yeah, it does nothing, but it will sew through anything, and you. Um, it's a really rigid machine because the whole thing's metal and right. you won't be breaking needles. The, the machine won't twist. You, you've really got a lot of, um, of um, forgiveness from the machine. Or you go out and you buy a, a, a modern secondhand machine or a new um, budget machine. So, for instance, I've just uh, visited um, uh, Chelsea's grandpa and his partner had a sewing machine that she bought maybe three or four years ago. It's one of the cheapest Singer sewing machines around. Everything on it is plastic. Okay. And I'm using it. I used it today. It's brilliant. Like I, I can pretty much do everything I want with the right needle and the right thread and it would be okay. Like I wouldn't be able to do a lot of the technical um, uh, bags that I do where, you know, for instance, on a corner, you'll have eight to 10 layers of fabric and, and you know, some zip material and you'll be twisting it. That machine wouldn't hold up to that, but if you're just making simple things, um, it would be fine. Okay. Um, otherwise, there's a whole pile of brand new machines um, getting around at the moment that you could pick up secondhand, um, and they label them as a HD. So, for in, for instance, Singer brings out their heavy duty sewing machines. There's a four four one one, a four four two three, and a four four five four or something. Um, and they are just the price levels and the feature levels, but the features are just the fact that they have more um, stitch options. So you okay. can do different stitch options, which isn't really relevant for what, what we're doing with the um, frame bags. But the point is that there are a, a budget machine for probably two or $300 on special. So if you find the sales and the in insides of these machines are all metal again. So oh, there's okay. a couple of, there's a couple of cogs in there that are plastic, but they make sure that those cogs are at the low torque end of the drivetrain. So, for instance, the cog that comes out of the motor might be plastic, but that's very low torque right. going up to a larger cog. So they're actually very, very good machines. So Singer makes heavy duties, Janome makes heavy duties, and Brother. There's mm -hmm. probably more, but they're the three big ones. Okay. And you'll be able to pick up a machine between about 200 and 700 that you would really be able to do anything that we want to do with so if you're just making your own stuff and you're not worried about over engineering and warranty returns and all these things um they're the perfect machine so i'm uh one of the machines in my um sewing room is a genomi uh hd 3000 which i think is about a 600 dollar machine and when we were packing up the house to move to Australia, all of my other machines were away, were away, like my industrial was packed up and everything. And I was using that for everything. So, and that's a domestic machine that they use to teach kids how to sew in school. So okay. it's, um, there's a lot of uh, easy ways to get into to sewing with respect to the machine. Right. Um, in Australia, still, do they still teach sewing in school? That's a good question for someone okay. <laughs> who probably has children. Any listeners uh, out there with little yeah. kids? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, in know. Canada, there's no no such thing. Like home yeah, economics right, is done. Go. Yeah, 
No, they must do. They <clears> must <throat> still teach it because when I was doing a sewing course before I left Australia, um, yeah, this uh, a lady there was a teacher and she brought in eight sewing machines. Okay. So yeah, they must. There might yeah. there might be a credit course or something in yeah. high school. Maybe. Yeah. 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 It's possible. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, sewing courses you know aren't overly expensive. So you know, there's beginner sewing courses that are actually really good, where you can turn up two or three hundred dollars for six or seven sessions, and you turn up with your project that you want to make, oh. and they'll help you through it. So there'll be you know eight of you in a room, and there'll be a roving instructor. Right. So there's things like that um, if you if you want to just yeah start off, dip your toe in the water watching YouTube videos, and then and then get a bit more confidence and then because there's really simple things that you don't you know no one explains to you in a in a video um and yeah so it's really good to talk to people so that's an option that's cool that's uh, a really cool option yeah i didn't even think of that yeah 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 so um i mean that's the machine side of things and then the equipment i mean there's there's really um two main facets and, and that's the needle and your thread and if you bought one of these smaller machines um, and you went out and bought a, the, the needles for the machine that are, are used to make jeans. So, for instance, if you walk into any sewing shop today, you'll see a whole bowl of needles in these tiny little boxes and one of them will say jeans or universal jeans. It's just a, a more heavy-duty needle. So it's about a size uh, 114 or something. Okay. And, and that would just be a hell of a lot stronger than the needle that came on your machine, which is really just for doing normal everyday fabric um, and tailoring. So that's the first thing. And then, so um, for, for like, you want a you want a heavy duty needle, right? Something that can do jeans, yeah. that kind of thing. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, you can't, yeah, there's, there's lots of other facets to that. There's different types of sure. needles for different types of fabric. And then the, the actual hole that the thread goes through, is of a different size for different um, uh, thread and all these different things. So there's huge rabbit holes we can go yeah, down yeah. with respect to that. But in reality, go out, get a, a set of denim needles, which is what I did when I started and started sewing. Um, and then the thread is basically the other most important factor. And there's a few different things there. You've got obviously thread made of different um, uh, different materials so you've got cotton and you've got polyester and obviously you're going to want polyester for what we do it's a bit stronger uh and waterproof and abrasion resistant right and um uv resistant so uv resistance is obviously very important for us because every moment we're on the bike almost when it's not night time we're, we're being hit by rays so you'll probably even notice on all of your bike packing gear that it gets faded really quickly because you know you change your clothes and all these things but you're always riding the same gear on the bike so. yeah, yeah my biking rain jacket is is something oh, yeah. else like because then you have the collar where it kind of bunches yeah. a bit and then when you lift it yeah. you're like whoa yeah yeah so um and thread is measured in a a, a scale um mostly most of the time which is text t-e-x and basically that number the text number is how how many grams 100 sorry 1000 meters of thread weigh so if it's really thick thread it'll weigh something <clears> like 70 grams for a thousand meters okay. and if it's really thin it'll be about 20 grams and the minimum you probably want to be using for what we're doing is about 30 to 35 for a beginner 
So you'll be looking for a text 35 thread. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and that's something really easy to get at a normal everyday sewing store. So Gutterman, um Sew All is about 30 text, I think, 30 or 35. And that's just a really good long-lasting thread that I, I used for the first six months of my sewing uh, journey. Okay. And now I'm up to uh, you know, 70 or 90 um, text thread, which looks a lot nicer because it sits on top of the bag and, you know, you can use different colors and all these things. And, um, but it's also obviously a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the vintage machine I'm using at the moment, the Singer um, that I've got here, I can actually use some 70 text thread, but I have to get a, a more heavy duty needle. Oh, so, okay. Um, and, no, but of course, then you have to deal with the weight penalty, right? Like... Yeah, I guess. <laughs> they, uh, so, yeah, lower the text, the faster you'll go on your bike. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's there's a, a lot of information there. But yeah. if you... Um, yeah, yeah, I was checking out... Just, um, do you know the website uh, refasten.ca? Yes. Okay, yeah. so I was checking out their stuff, and they had, like... Yeah. They only have two two threads there, the yeah. Terra 40 and Terra 80, and I was just looking at that as you're talking about text. And, uh yeah. Does it say kind what of, text are? Yeah, it so does. So the 80 yeah. is 35 text yeah. and the 40 Perfect. is 70. Yeah, it's really strange. So I use... Yeah, because um, you like the bigger number and the smaller. And yeah, stuff, so. I use Goodman Mara uh, religiously when I want to buy small spools of thread okay. instead of the huge 5,000 meters. And and I use Goodman Mara um, 50, which is 70 text. And then I have Goodman Mara 70, which is 35. So it's the opposite way. But um, but they're a really really good thread. So Goodman Mara and and the two that you just mentioned. Yeah. So um, and where where do you buy your stuff? Like oh, I guess we can get uh, to that. At all some point. sorts of places. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean that that's the good thing about the internet now. Um, you know you can just search for these things, and there's a couple of bigger stores like um, is it Wowack or something? There's I don't know, I'm probably saying that completely wrong, but it's a big Canadian sewing store. Wowack is they, Canadian. I didn't even know that. Yeah, they supply um, uh, some pretty good stuff. I've just got an order coming in from them. But then I prefer to su- support smaller shops as well. So I did an order with um, Discovery Fabrics out on Vancouver Island and bought a whole pile of... So this, uh, no one can see it, but I'm wearing a hoodie right now made out of Polar Tech. Oh, I saw I your pictures on, uh, on Instagram. Yeah. <clears throat> bought a whole pile of stuff from them. And then every time I do an order of fabric, I always throw in... Um, all thread and needles and all the small uh except all small parts that i need you know so you're not paying the postage on on that smaller parcel so there is yeah i mean it's just there's so much stuff out there and there's a lot of um as you were saying earlier with your dad the maritime um supply doors they sell all the gear um for making cushions and Mm -hmm. sails and all that they're really good and then there's the um horse um uh, saddlery type oh, yeah. shops, so they sell a lot of leather gear and but and also horse blanket gear, and it's all similar stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so you, and then the car upholstery. So there's all there's all different stores that don't apply at all to outdoor gear, but you'll right. start picking up um, uh, <clears throat> yeah uh, supplies. But yeah, that a uh, good. Go ahead. Yeah, a good way to start out instead of you know buying fabric quite expensive fabric from these people is just uh, recycling and obviously you can't recycle thread but you can pull apart an old backpack you've got or an old jacket or um you know if you've got yeah friends you have a sailboat geez sails are great um any of the old banners that they pull down 
for advertising. You know, it's a good place to start. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I guess, like, when you started, did you just order a bunch of material or did you kind of just tear apart some old stuff and kind of have at her? Yeah, you mentioned the yeah. Gore-Tex jacket, right? Yeah, so the Gore-Tex was the first thing. And then I, um, uh, yeah, bought some really poor quality polyester ripstop fabric from a horse saddlery store and then started learning more and more about fabrics and uh <clears throat> and then it was the the uh nylon uh membrane fabrics that i was sort of aiming towards which is the x-pack um vx21 is is a fabric that most a lot of the stuff you would ride is made of and no one knows what it is but it's um it comes in all beautiful colors and it's got that right. sort of crosshatch pattern on it and you would know it if you saw it but um and, and that was sort of and i think refasten sells x-pack as well i think exactly yeah they do, they do right yeah. okay yeah. i was looking at yeah. stuff today yeah and i know yeah, so, restrap who made the bags i was using the last couple of years those are um i believe x-pack as well yeah 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 so like you a, said it's, it's kind a, of a standard right? fabric yeah and then there's a couple of companies other companies that have come out um challenge sailcloth and all these different um companies that have come out with more eco-friendly fabrics so they don't use all the uh chemicals in the manufacturer and in the manufacturer of the fabric and some of the material is actually recycled um fabric so yeah how's the, qual- how's the quality of these materials like these uh eco-friendly like it's exactly the same is I can't it? Tell okay the yeah, yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah. so i mean everything has a little bit of a different feel mm-hmm. but i've never had anything fail okay um, when it's great, when it's the same sort of denia, um, which is the sort of uh, thread count number, I've never had anything uh, perform differently because it's eco. So yeah, yeah that's really cool. Cool. So is the material that the kind of thing you'd want is the um, you have the denier and then you have or the X pack, right? Where you have the yeah. the membrane on it as well, right? So that's kind of gives you yeah, that waterproofness. So- well, I mean, having said that, you know, I really enjoy working with canvas. It looks yeah. really nice. It feels really nice to sew. It ages really well. Um, and in reality, um, for someone like me or any other cottage maker, we can't waterproof our seams. <clears throat> so the seam is always going to let a little bit of water in. You're never going to have a 100% waterproof bag. You know, there's a couple of cottage makers out there that have a specific technique um, to make their seams waterproof, but it's a it's a design technique. But for most of us, you know, we just plastic bag whatever we don't want to get wet. Okay. And it goes in your front bag. <laughs> so technically, you know, a, a canvas that's been treated with a waterproofing um, chemical or wax is fine, and um, it looks really nice, and it's cheaper. And um, yeah, I don't know if it's better or worse for the environment in the manufacturing process, but you're also more likely to get that second hand. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of options out there. So you can't like, even if you, um, you know, use that, like the tape on the seams, it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't kind of so seal up hundred percent. No, well, there's some of the membrane fabrics that are tapeable. So you can actually okay. tape over the seam. Um, but that doesn't, I don't find it ages well. So, when on the last podcast I was saying that I made every single bag we used apart from the bar roll um, because that had a sleeping bag and a puffer jacket in it. And you want, okay. That, that was because I've made um, uh, bar rolls before that have been waterproof and I've taped the seams. But after 
you know, a week or two of use, I've seen the tape start peeling away mm -hmm. at the seam. So it's really difficult. And then if you look at a, a frame bag, you can't get into all those corners with tape. Um, so, and yeah, it's, it's a, it's a losing battle and a zip. There's no zip out there that we would yeah, use yeah. on a frame bag that is waterproof. What about um, um, liquid electrical tape? Yeah. Well, I mean, these are all things that, uh, possible. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just... um, but yeah, these these companies that weld their seams um, do it in a big factory, and they are just, right. They have the machinery in there, but, yeah. but they also don't make custom bags. And um, so yeah, there's a couple of brands out there that make really really good uh, waterproof, well semi waterproof frame bags, but nothing's ever completely waterproof. And I don't think anything in the custom market really is. Um, some things that very very water resistant but you know, getting it waterproof is really hard yeah i feel like to get it waterproof like i used to have a blackburn frame bag and yeah. i mean it was zipped so obviously it's not gonna be 100 percent waterproof but if you were to submerge it up to that zipper i think it was but that's because it was seam welded right so it's yeah it's um different materials it's heavier duty yeah. material anyways and yeah. um no i mean it I seems it seems, it's welded it's not going to go anywhere right yeah, at the end of a bikepacking trip once, I thought I didn't care if my bike got wet, so I tried to ride across a rocky stream and fell off my bike, and the bike floated away, and, um, yeah, I retrieved it. But uh, it was basically half-submerged underwater, and um, that was with my homemade frame bag, and there was just a tiny bit of water in it. It wasn't yeah, anything bad, but if you're going to ride it all day in the rain, you're probably going to get water in there, but you know, depends. You know, zip ziplock bags are easy to come by, and yeah, um, that's what I do. Even if I had a something that claimed it was 100% waterproof, I'd still ziplock bag anything that I was worried about. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think as a gen, I mean, I was in the military. You were too. Yeah. Um, you never went anywhere without like. I remember even like back in the old days, the old Canadian yeah. uh, when we still had the rucksacks where you have the. Yeah valise that you strap onto the bottom yeah, of your yeah. rucksack we yeah. always had a heavy duty before continuing on with the show i'd like to thank panorama cycles for sponsoring this podcast panorama cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in quebec canada dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel snow and off-road trails they believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures over the past year, I've been riding the Chickshocks fat bike, the Katadin gravel bike, and the Taiga mountain bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra fat bike race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bikepack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. The garbage oh, bag, yeah. like, you know, one of those really heavy-duty commercial Glad yeah. bags. Yeah. yeah, That was what we used inside it because we knew that thing is going to leak, like... That's, that's what makes me laugh about all these advertisements that say military grade waterproofing. And I'm like, you've never been in the military, have you? <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing. <laughs> Everything yeah. was in Ziploc. Every pair of socks yeah. was in its own Ziploc bag. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yeah, needles, uh, jeans, needles. Uh, what else we can talk about? I saw you got some really fancy scissors for Christmas. Yeah. So fabric cutting is a good one. So, um, your life will be uh, a lot easier if you figure out, well, have a, have good, um, cutting implements. And so one thing I would recommend, um, you know, down the track, you wouldn't buy this the first day you want to start showing, but is a cutting mat, which is one of those self-healing, the the dark green, you've probably seen them before. Um, They're dark green and they're covered in a grid pattern that you can use. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And you can cut on them and they sort of self-heal. They never actually get damaged. Um, So you can use one of those um, and just cut on it with an X-Acto knife um, to get your, with a ruler and an X-Acto knife just to get your everything really measured well and cut straight or i use a rotary cutter so it's a it's a it's like a pizza cutter yeah exactly um and that makes everything 10 times faster um and you can do really long straight lines and repeat them over and over again so do you still use like a ruler or you just kind of freehand it no, I still use a ruler. Okay. Yeah, um, I use a freehand for uh, clothing and stuff, but not for a frame bag, for instance. Right. Because um, you're trying to repeat the same pattern over and over again, so it sort of has to be perfect. But um, yeah, so that that's a really important one. And and um, the scissors that I picked up the other day are a Canadian company called LVH, and uh, they're just yeah, like pieces of art. Um, and you know, if you like bikes, you probably appreciate uh, the aesthetics of a lot of the things we okay. use. And, and sewing is a little bit the same for me. I love, I love my sewing machines. And when you pick up a pair of scissors that feel nice and look beautiful, it's just something that you enjoy using, and they are just incredibly sharp. So I can get into corners and do really tight, um, mm-hmm. tight cuts. And uh, so when you do a three-dimensional corner when you're sewing, you need to do some um, tiny cuts, which might be only three or four or five millimeters long. You need to be able to get in there and do those cuts. So, you know, a, a good tool is very important to sort of oh. make, maintain the quality of what you're doing. Um, yeah, so cutting implements, really important. Um, uh, a, a seam ripper is sort of the delete button of the sewing world. Yeah, yeah. And those are, um, I remember my mom, she just pulled those things out at all times, just yeah, ripping shit yeah. apart. I think she just kind yeah. of did it for fun. Yeah. And so the only thing to watch there is the fact that if you're using any form of waterproof fabric, every time the needle goes through, that's obviously somewhere for water get in to get in. So you don't want to be unpicking it and sewing a completely different line <laughs> again right. and exposing those holes. So there's little things like that to remember. But in reality, yeah, as we're talking about, it's not a huge deal. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, when you're just using normal fabric, like clothing fabric, it doesn't matter. You can't see where the, the needle's gone, but you can on your outdoor gear. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah, I'm thinking that's probably the main items. Because I actually turned up here in Canada with nothing. I just went to the sewing store and grabbed everything I needed. And I think I walked out with yeah, maybe a couple of hundred bucks worth, well, probably a yeah. hundred bucks worth of tools. I, I find it amazing because I was like thinking, I'm like, wow, yeah, I'm going to make a bag and it's going to be so epic. And then I saw your yeah. post and it's like, I just made us these hoodies. And I'm like, what the yeah. fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and well, it's like I'm, multicolored. And I'm like, yeah. wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. Next. And then I've been, been working on winter hats to go under our helmets and all these things. And yeah, doing a lot of repairs on our own stuff. And um, yeah, it's a, it is a, a 
a snowball effect that has really brought me into clothing and I love making clothing now. Yeah. Which I never thought I would get into either. So yeah, but it's all, it's all, um, a learning process along the way. So, yeah. So, uh, tell us about the name. Yeah. No, Threadworks. Um, it's, it's I mean, it's just, one, it's but... such an Australian, like, yeah. isn't it a very Aussie thing to say, yeah, no, right? Something like that? Yeah, but we... we I don't we know what context you're using it in, but... Yeah, we say it with less uh, uh, eloquence, so we just sort of say, yeah, no. And um, there is no one I've met in, in North America that can say it, or anywhere in Europe, so it's probably not the best name to have, but in Australia, everyone appreciated it, and everyone yeah. still loves the name, but... Um, yeah, I just find that I said it quite a lot, and then someone mentioned that I said it quite a lot, and um, yeah, I just thought that way. Yeah, well, I'm gonna, I, I have a, already picked out a nice little name, and oh, I'm gonna great. see if I can get a thing stitched or something to put on yeah. my first bag because, uh, yeah. but I don't want to tell it right now because it's, it's, I'll oh. tell you it off air after the suspense because I think yeah. it's, I think it's fucking epic Canadian, kind of like yours is epic, uh, yeah, Australian, that's great. You know? so, um, yeah, so there's yeah. a lot of, um, there's a, it's actually not very expensive to get labels made up, so, um, even in small batches, so you, you might be able to just, if you think you're going to make 20 or 30 things over time, you might be able to pick up 20 or 30. Um, personalized labels, yeah. Really yeah, there's like printful stuff. and all these things. I think they can, yeah. they do stitch embroidery, whatever. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. I don't know. I, I yeah. have an idea. I mean, it's not like uh, I have time to make 20 or 30 bags, but I really do want to make one. Yeah. And then who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Especially for a fat bike, because I think like even then, frame bags, they're not really designed around the fat bikes. Yeah. really wide Q factor. I mean, there's so much yeah. more space in there that's not getting oh, utilized yeah. when you get a, if yeah. you put in a, a, just a generic frame bag. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first frame bag I ever had for one of my um, fat bikes, yeah, it was too wide to put on any other bike and it, I, it didn't click at the time how brilliant that design was, but it, I was annoyed because I couldn't use it on multiple bikes. So Yeah, yeah. yeah no way I figured it's going to be pretty wide at the bottom, but of course it's going to have to be narrower at the yeah. top and yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm going to so, try to mess around with that. Yeah, so I, I use stiffeners. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things with the material. So we've already gone through the fabrics, but yeah, there's some things that I do. So, for instance, when I make a, a uh, harness for my um, bar roll, I stiffen that with the um, flexible chopping boards from the supermarket. Okay. So perfect you can put fabric on either side of it put a binding think, around it and I, i'm gonna give you the uh, the newest cheapest material out there now yeah. to save you more money um oh. if you go to dollarama now that winter's coming theoretically yeah. um they sell crazy carpets oh, perfect. for like yeah. two bucks and they're huge right they're like a meter oh, and a half long right so yeah. it'd be your, the ultimate budget uh, stiffener because I've actually when we were in Australia I actually think I said that to Chelsea once I wish they sold them in Australia because yeah, I yeah. would just be using them so that's mm -hmm. a, a perfect um, thing there so and when you're talking about your frame bag yeah you're gonna have to worry about the stiffness to keep it that wide um, and I just use sort of <clears> I think I use three to five millimeter um, uh, what's the close cell foam mm -hmm. which you can get from cosplay um, costume shops so there's a lot of shops out there that just sell supplies for Interesting. cosplay yeah yeah uh, and that's really good so you can use that as your stiffener um, so what do you do like you have to like glue it 
I'm so, I'm no, so, I'm so, so like my, my mind's not picturing it. So yeah. you got to explain. So when you make your frame bag, you're going to need um, a few things. If you're going to use a zip, you're going to need a, a zip or two. Sure. You're going to need the outer fabric, which we've already spoken about, which is basically uh, recycled anything you want recycled or something like um, X-Pac VS21. And you're going to need lining material. Oh, so right. The lining, the lining material. material. <laughs> yeah. So if you look inside any of your bags, you have some kind of nylon ripstop inside of right, it. Right, right. It's a really bright color so you can see into the bag and see your things. So, oh, is that why they do that? I was thinking uh, maybe you could flip it, it inside out if it's an emergency. It looks and good. Like... <laughs> but it, yeah, so what you could do one day is grab one of your frame bags and turn it inside out. You won't hurt it. Just turn it inside out. And that's a really good learning um, <clears throat> technique to see how they've done it. Um, and so I make strips, basically the thin strip that goes around the outside of the frame bag. Okay. And I double that up with another thin strip of the lining fabric and I just stitch it together really quickly, just not important stitching. So like your stiffener, so like the crazy carpet to a liner, right? And No, no. So the you've got the outside fabric, you've got the liner on top of that. Ah, okay. And, and then you slide the foam in between that and that that becomes a stiffener around your frame bag Mm -hmm. um there's probably plenty of i've never seen any uh youtube videos of how to make a frame bag but there's probably heaps of them out there that show how to do that i slide my foam in at the end of the making process because it makes it easier to make the whole bag because you can sort of scrunch it around when you're right yeah otherwise it's really but yeah so they're basically the the things you'll need and then I um all I do for the uh to fasten it to the frame is just sew webbing all the way around the frame bag in a sort of a, a daisy chain um sort of configuration mm-hmm. and then you can just use um velcro one wrap which is just a velcro that's sticky on both sides yeah those are great that sticks to itself yeah so you can just buy that at um a home depot or anything it's not cheap but it's useful for tidying up your garage and all that, putting all the cables together. And then I just fasten it with that. So it's actually really easy. You're not going out and buying anything anything crazy. So Okay, so I was gonna ask you what's the uh, the kind of the preferred I mean I guess it's just aesthetics, right? Like some people really like the rope, like the paracord. Yeah. I like the rope because it goes through each of those daisy chain holes and provides support along the whole entire top of the frame bag rather than putting ten pieces of you know of four or five pieces of one wrap there. Right. Um, and it doesn't seem to scratch my paint or anything, which I'm absolutely not worried about, but. Okay. Um, so I was going to say, how is it yeah. compared? Like, cause you know, like one wrap and stuff, it always scuffs the shit out of everything. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So it, because it holds everything so rigid and it doesn't move at all. <clears> it doesn't, I haven't seen it, the effect of it anywhere on any of my bikes. So I find that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then for the bottom half, you can obviously do the same thing and just use one wrap. But I um, I use the flexible chopping board and slide that into the, the, the onto the down tube section of the frame okay. bag, and then use a um, soldering iron and literally melt a hole through the frame bag where the bottle water bottle box. Right. Are, That's what I was going to ask just you. Fold yeah. it straight on. Yeah, so and it's really easy. You don't need grommets. You don't need anything because I've actually found that using metal grommets, um, the eventually the bolt 
rattles loose and water and dust and stuff gets in there. But okay. doing it this semi-dodgy way, <laughs> actually, the bolt never comes undone and nothing gets in there because you're and, squeezing. And if you're really, if you're really metal. worried, you could put like a little rubber washer on it, right? When yeah, you tighten exactly. it down, it almost adds like a compression yeah. fitting. And yeah, so I've actually uh, count. Uh, I've actually made old frame bags um, bolt on just by getting some of that plastic and just melting a hole straight through the old frame bag and through the plastic and then using that plastic as just sort of the the support to hold the frame bag onto the frame. So mm. you can actually do it with any frame bag you already own. It just won't be as nice because it, it won't be hidden away be- beneath the lining. Right. But you can just... Um, Unless you use it, your yeah. unstitcher and you unstitch a few things yeah, at the bottom. Yeah, there yeah, you yeah. go. Or from the top so, so you can slide it down. Yeah. That's a good thing because I was going to ask you is like, you know, is it that complicated to go into a bolt on setting? But it's really not, I guess. It's just a matter. You set it there, you line it up. Yep. Solder it through the. Yeah. It was a, it was an easy way for me to get into it. And then, you know, when I started making more and more of them, I was, it was awkward because I'd get people coming over and I'd fit the frame bag perfectly for them. So they'd come over to my house and I would, I'd have to say, look, this doesn't look very professional, but it's going to perform flawlessly <laughs> for the life of the frame bag. And no, everyone's really happy with it because there's a lot of people out there who have had, um, yeah, steel or metal grommets put in there and had uh, trouble with them undoing and water regress <clears throat> and all that. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering about that. I was going to ask you, do you like use a grommet kit and stuff? But no. Um, uh, now, I guess also, if you're going to go the route of taking a soldering iron and burning holes through your bags, that bag will be made for that bike, right? Like, it's not something you're going to yeah. be swapping around too much, unless you could just stick a piece of duct tape inside it. Yeah, I've, I've done that before. So I've had frame bags that have just pulled off one bike and wanted to put on another one, and I've just chucked some tape over it and melted a new hole. I mean, it's, it's protected. You know, water from the sky isn't going to hit that hole, and then the frame... Yeah is protecting it from the water off your front wheel so in reality it's not, not right the, any ingress yeah. would be very very like yeah man my f- facebook is dinging away and i'm like <laughs> that's the one problem with using facebook yeah but i think that <laughs> so yeah, for anybody listening problem, all the things sorry <laughs> your bigger problem will be the fact that yeah the frame isn't the same shape yeah um, more than worrying about where the holes are but um yeah i mean a little while ago there were pretty standard frame shapes but now everything every company is trying to bring out something completely different and the the difference in height of your top tube is as is huge compared to maybe 10 years ago they're all pretty much right right yeah and now you have really low ones because people want a really low dropper or you'll have really high ones because people want a bike pack on it and put a huge frame bag in there Mm -hmm. so it's actually funny just looking at how uh my current um rsd sergeant the triangle's tiny because you can put a huge dropper post on there and um, it makes sense. Uh, but yeah, and then my other bike, which is exactly the same sort of geometry, has a huge triangle. So yeah, right. it's, this is another reason that, you know, it is. the generic sizing from the big brands is yeah. uh, really hit and miss. And you don't know sometimes until it arrives at your house. Yeah. And that's why there's a lot of uh, secondhand stuff getting around I, I just recorded an interview I just released it tonight but it's on uh, the Patreon at the moment yep. and they had ordered nine frame bags each before they found one that fit like 
that oh. the both the couple like but they're like whatever we just ordered it returned it ordered another one you know returned it um, i just don't have that much patience so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was pretty uh pretty cool it was, it was kind of funny but um you know yeah. i think it was like nine anyways don't quote my number yeah, but yeah, it was yeah, it yeah. was ridiculous like and yeah. that was just to find the one that you know fits your bike because yeah. especially when you get into some of the smaller xs bikes like my wife's yeah yeah. My wife's fat bike, oh man, like it would be impossible. Like I don't even think I could fit yeah. my partial frame bang in there. Yeah, you know? yeah, like yeah. it's it's so tiny. Um yeah. so it'd be yeah, nice so to make a, her some too, right? So it's an interesting one because like, there's two sides of the story. They're like if you have a really small frame, putting one water bottle in there might not be the best use of that space because you can put a water bottle somewhere else, like on a fork or under the down tube. And then utilize every inch of that right. tiny space. Yeah. Or it's pointless putting a frame bag in there because you might as well just put a water bowl in there. So there's actually two ways to look at it because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of wasted space around water bottles. So um, I've made a lot of tiny frame bags and I've made them, you know, in odd shapes for dual suspension bikes. And, and yeah, it just means that, you know, if it's your everyday bike and it happens to be a dual suspension bike and you just want your wallet and keys and some snacks and some food and chuck a water bottle somewhere else, then it's still worth it because you can yeah. you know, utilize utilize <clears throat> that space and keep the weight in the middle of your frame rather than on your back or anywhere else. Yeah, um, because I, you know, I have frame bags on all of my bikes no matter what the use is. Um, you know, you can ride it empty and that's fine if you're going to go and have a huge day um, on the on the single track or you can fill it up and have an even bigger day on single track because you've got all your food and everything. Yeah, yeah. So, I saw I saw recently somebody, oh man, I don't remember who posted it or where I saw it, but I think it was an insulated frame bag and for like a fat bike. Yeah. And, you know, so I guess you could just, I don't know what you'd use to insulate, to insulate material. I don't know. Anyways, oh, and, yeah. and then they had a bottle cage mounted right inside the frame bag. So you open the frame bag and your bottle is there, but you also had all that yeah. other space that you could store oh, stuff great. in. That's absolutely right. And brilliant. you just use yeah. a, a side load. Um, yeah. Oh, no, you know what they used? They used, um, I forget the name of the company, but they make the magnetic bottle holders. Yeah, that's right. The bottle Perfect. with the magnets. And you go, wow. pull it right out. Oh, yeah. that is and absolutely like, brilliant. That is a brilliant yeah. idea. Like it solves, it solves the bottle freeze problem. It solves yeah, everything. Yeah, what's your... What's your opinion or, or experience on that? So I've been talking to people about water and, um, you know, obviously putting water on your forks or on your down tube freezes. But then there seems to be a common um, theory that if you put it in your frame bag, it generally doesn't freeze. Yeah. Have you um, found that? So I haven't, I haven't got that far experiencing it. So yeah. what I did is I just ordered um, the... I don't know what you call it, bottle sleeve thing from yeah, Bliv- yeah, yeah. Blivet because um, they yeah, had a big sale yeah. on. So, you yeah. know, for somebody who makes their own kit like you, you'd be like, $35, I could do that for <laughs> way less. Um, yeah. But that was their sale price. And I so I ordered one that would fit my wife's bike and one for mine. And yeah. um, my buddy Carl uses them, and he says, mm-hmm. and he doesn't use the Blivet one, he uses the other, I forget what company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he said it works great. And you can put a little, you can put a pocket warmer in there as well if it's really cold oh, out. Brilliant. Oh, I'm yeah. learning. This is good. So he says you can, uh, maybe it's even better if you have a little sleeve built in there with a little spot yeah. to put the pocket warmer. Um, yeah. 
Cool. Yeah. So last year when I did the when I did my winter stuff, I had a camelback with the yeah. Um, sorry, the osprey one, but with yes. the insulated sleeve and insulated hose. But even then, I had to keep it under my clothes because, like, when it was yeah, I think that when we did the Wendigo, it was minus twenty two that morning, yeah, and yeah, with yeah. the wind chill, it was something like minus thirty five or something minus thirty. It was it was wicked cold. Yeah. Um. I sweat my ass off, but the bottle was like, every time I got that mouthpiece, cause it was the only yeah. thing exposed, even with the cover, I was like, come on, come on water. Get out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it was freezing it. pretty quick. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could probably just build yourself a little neoprene, um, bottle, yeah. bottle cover. Sounds good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, what else? Um, Oh, just some general questions about building when you're making stuff. I know you talked about like seven and eight corners or eight layers on your corners and stuff, but uh, you know, when you put your two fabrics together, how much, how much overlap, like do you first sew before you trim off the excess? And um, yeah, so that, I mean, everyone's the, a little bit different yeah. and, and depending on what you're making. So, you know, um, some people sew half an inch seam allowance on clothing that they make. And I'm generally um, a centimeter, so ten millimeters roughly. Um, and I, I'm not exact because I just use a reference point that's on my sewing machines or like the width of the the sewing machine oh, okay. or something yeah, like yeah. that. So I don't know the exact numbers. Um, and I'm also, you know, there's people who cook and they use a uh, recipe book and measure everything to the gram and do <laughs> everything perfectly. I'm not that person right. when it comes to sewing. So I don't, I barely put any marks. I don't put any reference points. I don't draw lines where I'm supposed to stitch. I just sew it. Um, so yeah, but it is important um, to leave that what they call a seam allowance because it obviously stops the fry if there is any fraying, which we don't really get with most of the modern fabrics we use. But if there was any fraying, you've got a lot of uh, leeway there before you start getting to the stitching. Okay. And also, if you open, if you turn one of your frame bags inside out uh, today, you'll see that there'll be what they call binding, which is a black tape usually around the seams that sort of so that you can't see all of the layers of fabric. Okay. Um, so that is another thing you do. It doesn't, it's not waterproof. It doesn't actually provide any um, structural integrity to the bag other than another row of stitching. But um, yeah, that in order to have uh, fabric there to attach that binding to, you need to provide some seam allowance. Uh, okay. So generally, I personally do a centimeter. Um, so when I, when someone wants a frame bag, I tell them um, to trace out their triangle on a piece of cardboard and send it to me and I'll put it onto a piece of fabric, trace around that piece of cardboard that they sent me and then I'll add a centimetre all the way around it and that'll be my single out. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of people out there who use uh, uh, makers out there who say, yeah, hold a ruler up to your frame and take a photo of it and email me that. And that, um, I've heard of Do a lot. Do those work? I'm like... <laughs> I've heard of so many that haven't fitted when they've arrived. Okay. So I don't take that responsibility upon myself. Um, I make it to the front to the template they send me. I take a photo of the template on the frame bag, or I mail it back to them with the frame bag, and okay. uh, then it's it's not my responsibility. Oh, and they always fit one hundred percent. 
Yeah, it's it's not it's yeah. it does take time. Uh, you know, you want to yeah. make sure you're really taking your time when you do that cardboard yeah. thing, and then when you do cut yeah. it out, you kind of want to put some tape on it and fit well, it, it in there and actually yeah. check that it fits right, right? And there's not it a bunch of gaps. It also helps because I asked them where their um, holes are and where any. I could I asked them to send me a photo of the cardboard cut out inside their frame, so I can see where there are cables and things. Because oh, sometimes yeah. cables especially dropper post cables actually go through the triangle. So you have to try to avoid things like that. Right. Um, so there's a lot of weird little things that people can mark onto their, uh, onto their template and go from there. So that is how, that's another thing we probably should talk about. Yeah. How, how you do the template for your um, frame bank. Yeah, that you're going to make let's in the discuss future. That. Just get your, someone else around the house to hold the piece of cardboard firmly up to the frame and then just, yeah, run a pencil or pen around it as as vertical as possible, and um, that is a perfect template. Yeah, you're done, and then cut that out. And as I said, add a centimeter of seam allowance all the way around. Decide on the width you want, and then cut the um, the outer fabric out, and you're on your way. Yeah, and I guess um, I guess uh, what was I going to say? What are they called? Um, not the bottle holders. What do you use? Feed bags are yeah. really also a good starting point, right? Yeah, for any kind of yeah. gear. Cause yeah. literally you're just making a circle mm. and then sewing a bottom on kind of to get started yeah. anyways. Yeah. And I actually make, um, square, uh, dem bags. I've put a, a how to up on my Instagram years ago so that anyone can just jump on there and make them themselves. Oh. And I made square ones that are only five millimeters in, um, depth from the handlebars so your knees don't hit them because I'm a single speeder so I'm standing up a lot yeah, yeah. I, I didn't personally don't like the round ones at all um, so there's actually you know you begin to think outside the box which is another reason to start making your own gear um, and so I make <coughs> these perfectly um, simple uh, uh, stem bags that work for my purpose um, which reminds me, I should yeah, I should repost that because it's just a really simple cool. design for anyone to make. I know that uh, Eric and Jen, who presented at the summit last year, they uh, they make yeah. a lot of their own gear, yeah. and uh, they're going to be stoked to hear me talking about them. Hey Eric, yeah. hey Jen, um, but they also they they created like a little a little snack box that goes right between the arrow bars over the stem. Perfect. And yep. then Velcro's on to the to the, yeah. the nubs of the arrow bars, and then you yeah. have a space where you could just like throw whatever. Yeah. As yeah. long as you're not hitting some crazy single track, it's probably really great. Well, um, I mean, they might have had a little, they might have had a little closer on it. I don't remember yeah. now, but uh, yeah. arrow bars are, are quite popular, or they they were. I don't know if they still are, but and one of the um, one of my mates, well, Lewis Cedar, who won the oh, yeah. 2018 Tour Divide, even he says he he loves them because it's just a place to put things. Yeah. So even whether he's using them or not, it's a, it ends up being a really handy place, and and you can attach all sorts of stuff. So that's why I I really like those um outkit Confucius bars, which I like Jones bars, but they're not at all. That they're not. I'm gonna Google them as bent. you talk. So they're just like a normal flat bar, but then they have that loop at the front, uh -huh. um, and you can use that for a hand position, but you can also hang and mount everything to it. So that's where my lights are, and that's where my um, bar harnesses so it completely clears all of my cables oh, yeah. and all that sort of stuff um, so yeah and that's that's another reason to you know make your own gear because you can figure out all these little nooks and crannies so um, you know with the 
bikes that we just rode across Europe, I had um, rear racks on there and then the uh, support struts that go down to your seat stays, I just sewed some Velcro to a fabric and then that just connected to the struts to make sort of a hammock. And then I, we could store a bike lock there and I, well, Chelsea had a bike lock and I had um, fire tubes uh, in oh. there. It was just like a completely, a, a space that's never utilized. Um, so yeah, there's all these little, little things you can do. What are, what are your, uh, what are your thoughts in the, since you've become a bag maker when it comes to like the uh, saddlebags versus racks and top bags or micro panniers well, and stuff like, I mean, even how before, have you found things? Yeah, even before I um, made my own stuff, I still bought the smallest saddlebag on the market, pretty much, which was the um, Ovaje Negra gear jammer, but in small or small or medium, whatever it was. I don't think they had three sizes. I think they only had two. And and that was big enough to fit my sleeping bag and sleeping mat and something else when I did the Tour Divide. And it was, you know, perfect because it was you know, big, but it had light, light things in it and soft <clears> things. And then you go riding and you see people with the hugest saddlebag swaying around in the wind. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, you know, every time they pedal, sorry. And it's not just the fact that it's, you know, a poor distribution of weight because that's really up high, but it's the fact that it's going to wear out and, you know, mm-hmm. every single time it sways there's friction somewhere and rubs or and bangs and there's stress on a stitch or something yeah um but yeah i mean saddlebags you know if you ride a bike that only has a saddlebag and a bar roll and try to lift that over a fence or a gate you'll soon realize where your weight is distributed and if you try to lean that against a tree it's going to fall over you know so mm-hmm. these are little things there's nothing wrong with saddlebags but i think the smaller you go uh, or just um, uh, items that are, have a large, take up a lot of space, but a lot. Um, I did write an article for bikepacking.com about our bikes and our, our, the fact that our bikes for our last trip dipped between um, uh, touring bikes and bikepacking bikes. And so we had micro panniers on there. But again, that wasn't where the heaviest things went. So our, rear, our front panniers had... Um, clothes in them only so mm-hmm. everything was soft and the rear one um had cooking gear tent um and just random items but all the heavy things like water and food and everything we would store try to store in different places that weren't um uh yeah weren't affecting the the, the balance of the bike so it's hard you know, every single time. I, I, I've definitely never set up my bike the same twice and I've been on a lot of biking yeah, yeah. trips. So it all depends on what you're taking. I know when I when through. I did my uh, my big bikepacking adventure in, in Western Canada uh, 2020, um, I had, you know, it, it was like bikepacking bike, you know? I had yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the, oh, David on the, the interview I just had, uh, he called it an ass rocket. I love that term. Uh, you yeah. know, a big ass rocket. I had the front yeah. roll. I had yeah. feed bags and top tube bag and uh, frame bag and everything. Um, yeah. I hated, I hated yeah. the yeah. ass rocket and I hated, yeah. like, I, I don't like front rolls. Like, you know, I yeah. don't like yeah. them because um, I, I really like some of the new stuff now. It's like the front bags where you can open the top and just stuff yeah. it, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I borrowed my buddy's girlfriend's last year for my fat bike trip. And um, I think it was an Atwater Atelier bag. And uh, awesome. Man, that was the first time I used one. I was like, why yeah. have I been suffering yeah. so long, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so and- it's a funny one because when, when I look at people when I'm doing a bikepacking event, you turn up to a gas station and they've got all these tiny little bags and then they've got nowhere to put their food and they're sort of slotting them into different spots. And then you realize, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were using panniers. You just opened a pannier and if there was a roommate, dumped it in, everything in, rolled it up and rode off. Buy a pizza, so, um, strap it across yeah, the top yeah. and you're good to go. Yeah. So the, I think the larger cavernous uh, bags <clears throat> certainly have their place when it comes to convenience. Yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, so I've been um it's been a it's been a process. I mean, I used the restrap race series stuff which was really small, you know, 7 liters yeah. front and back. So the good thing about that is you never have that much stuff in there, so you're not digging yeah. around, you know. But yeah. I also never had storage space, but it was Yeah, solely yeah, for, restrap makes some good size yeah, uh, bags. Yeah. That was solely for racing yeah. stuff, so it was um yeah. perfect to that point, but yeah. then I sold all the Blackburn stuff cuz I just don't want to use it and uh Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah, I think the, um, I think, I think everything's coming full circle back to, uh, racks, micro panniers. You're seeing a lot of bike packers now. Uh, I think it's sort of, you know, we're growing as a, uh, as a pastime, I guess. And people aren't caring so much about, you know, what's new and what's, uh, you know, being flaunted as the, the best solution to a problem. And, mm-hmm. So we sort of are, you can be in the middle ground. You can, you know, do all these different things and no one looks twice at you anymore. So, you know, five years ago, if you turned up with micro panniers to a race, people would think you're crazy. And now <laughs> they'd be like, hmm, that's going to be really easy for you to deal with. <laughs> and yeah, I could see how that's a benefit for you. And, you know, so everyone's really open. Even uh, I've noticed lately that uh, running vests are becoming a thing um, for bike packing. I have so, seen that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the little pockets, you know, sort of um, seems to be a thing. I would, I would never do it because I don't like having anything on my back. But and you see a lot you know, of like the pa- like the, the fanny packs are back. Yeah, and then uh, a couple of maybe restrap was on. Uh, no, um, is it Apodera or one of them? They made it yeah. so you can un unroll it and put on straps and as a big stuff bag and now you could yeah, carry stuff yeah. that way and yeah and uh i have seen people using the uh the race vests yeah. like the solomon ones or whatever right for for yeah, quite some time I, think, um, I mean that's a good thing to bring up i think your fanny packs is another good place for people to start uh their sewing journey as well you can really have some fun with them so i've made heaps of them and um yeah sort of arrived, arrived at a design now that's roll top it's it's completely it is 100 percent waterproof because i've spent days on the bike in the rain and they've been dry and um <clears throat> and you can make it fit so well to you and hold hold whatever you want to carry and i, I have to check it's there all the time because it's so comfortable right and that's so, the perfect that's place a, to put your really, camera or whatever yeah you know? that's a really fun one so you've got your uh yeah i've got a little phone pouch on the sides and the phone's always with me wallet on the other side uh you know i've always got my um uh, tire plugs in my fanny pack so I don't have to have a set of tire plugs on every bike so, mm. you know, when I leave the house it's basically my everyday carry for all my uh, emergency bike stuff so 
yeah, fanny packs are a fun one to play with, and you can get really stylish and make them person really personal to you. With yeah, yeah. And all that. I've seen a few out there that look like they're they're really are going all uh, full circle back to like the eighties, you know, like yeah, neon yeah. colors and like yeah, yeah. random. Well, I did buy a heap of fabric. I called, I think it was the design was splatter, so it's a black background, and it looks like it's had fluorescent paint splattered all over it. Okay, and. Um, and you got it on it, sale, presumably. <laughs> it was hugely popular oh, yeah. with a certain age of man. <laughs> so someone who was alive in the eighties, yeah, 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 it was. It sold like hotcakes. Everyone wanted everything. <laughs> That's like. funny. Um, how much stuff did you ship over to Canada? I mean, you know, you said it's on the way. It's just in. A, it's crossing the ocean in a container. Or? Yeah, so we uh, basically got rid of all of our furniture. So everything huge we got rid of and we basically brought everything else. So we've got enough stuff that we can move straight into a house and live in it. So we have beds, a kitchen table, a couple of chairs, you know, and everything else in the house. We just don't have furniture. So um, yeah. we just pick all that up eventually. So that's arriving in Vancouver on the 4th of January. And oh, then yeah, we have to excited. actually find. Well, we don't have a house, so oh yeah, um, so whatever. Yeah, so we, we don't even know where we're going to live. So we're sort of looking close to the mountains um, to find somewhere to live. How's the uh, search going? Have you guys? Uh, you went and did some exploration, right? I saw you out cycling with Miles Arbor, and yeah, so we went headed across to visit Chelsea's grandpa and catch up with Miles and some other friends over in um in the Sunshine Coast, just above Vancouver, and that was really really cool. Um, uh, yeah, it's always beautiful over there, and even when it's bucketing rain, you can still get out and do whatever you want. You know, the, the water drains away, and it's just so beautiful. Mm. So we had a great time over there, and then on the way out and back, we sort of explored a few towns around the place. But um, yeah, we haven't locked anything in. It's one of those chicken and egg situations where you, do you find a job and then find a house, or do you find a house and then find a job? Yeah, you find a job, and you're like, all right, now we're gonna find a house, so I'll let you know if I take the job in about yeah, a month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but. We uh yeah we arrived here in Edmonton and we thought oh, you know, we'll probably live in Calgary and then the first peak hour that I uh, drove through even yeah Edmonton peak hour isn't as bad as Calgary and I was like nope not doing this ever <laughs> so yeah, yeah decided not to live in a city so we'll head somewhere we'll see what happens nice man and I gotta ask why why do you have five sewing machines like who needs like. I mean, there's one of you, so why do you need five? Yeah, so, all right, so... Are they just set up I mean, in different threads and different things are ready to go? Well, I mean, at the moment, so for instance, I've got three sewing machines at the moment. Um, so I, I bought a vintage Singer because that was sort of like a heavy-duty machine. I could make a frame bag out of heavy thread and all those sorts of things. So that's a 1953 Singer 301. Then I have a um, cheap domestic sewing machine which I use which can do different stitches so I can do zigzag stitches um, and which you, you might use for bar tacking which is where you attach like a webbing to fabric and it's sort of zigzag thread up and down about five right yeah so times. it gives a little bit more uh, strength right so I can use it for things like that or just use it you, uh, have it really cheap thread on it so cotton thread or something just for uh connecting things together while i'm making and then i might undo that thread later so it's just sort of like just a, a do everything little machine mm. that wouldn't be strong enough to make a bag and then i have an overlocker so if you look at whatever t-shirt or jumper you're wearing at the moment the the stitches on the inside of it 
are really neat and there's sort of like a zigzag all the way along the stitching yeah, holding yeah. it all in place damn it looks good so that's yeah so i've got one of those which i use uh, for making for instance this hoodie and i've made um uh cycling jackets for us out of windstopper fabrics the politech windstopper fabric i make it with that because it cuts and sews at the same time so it cuts the fabric as you sew and makes it look beautiful oh that's so cool <laughs> you can't make a mistake because you've cut the fabric um, so they're the three machines I've got here. So it's um, a special machine just for doing overlocking, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they're the three machines I have here, but which are reflected in my home setup. But um, in my home setup, I also have two industrial machines. So I have a huge industrial machine that has a, a really long arm on it that you can almost put an entire bag over and sew inside the bag. Oh, okay. It's sort of hard for me to explain, but... If yeah, you yeah. imagine being able to put a bag over an arm, um, they call it a cylinder arm machine. And it also has different feet that grab the material from above and below. Oh, and yeah. My, da- my dad was talking about like a sail, exactly. sail right, I think. is a, they, Yeah, walking for, foot. So, yeah. yeah. So that's what they call it. Mine's a compound walking foot, so the needle moves at the same time, all these different things. So right. that means you can have however many layers of fabric you want, and it holds it together and, and really um, assists you in keeping... So you're not going to get a screw-up like where something bunches. And... Where it slides and moves around. So that's mm. one of my industrial machines. And then I just have more like the machine that you've got, that FAF. Oh, is that your dad's machine? Yeah, my dad, he picked that up for 100 bucks. Yeah. So that's a very good um, flatbed machine that you'll be able to use for all sorts of things. And I think, you know, you can get up to two or three thousand stitches a minute on a machine like that okay. so it's terrifying if you're not used to it um but you can slow down uh the gear with gear yeah he was he was showing me how there's like the knee toggle he's like you don't even have yeah. to like stop you just push the knee toggle exactly. over and it backs up and then yeah. you've covered your stitch and yeah so my so. um yeah so my both of my industrial machines have um knee levers and uh the pedal actually has two different positions oh okay and so it's like driving a car so i i i just go into this i don't know different world when i'm sewing and i'm just moving all these different parts of my body and i can lift the um foot with my knee and then i can make sure the needle stays up or it goes down by you mm-hmm. putting my foot in a different position it's all, and it cut it cuts the thread so that you don't have to cut it and all these different things oh, okay but, but so yeah so there's basically the five different machines i would have i would have a, a small domestic um a cheap domestic a a uh a, a, a um overlocker and then two industrials and that sort of does everything but it's absolutely not required it just right. makes everything way faster um and better quality because if you have a machine that's designed to do one task it's going to do that task really well so my setup is nothing compared to you know some of the cottage makers that have nine oh, yeah? machines. Oh, no way. Yeah, so they'll, it'll literally have a machine that does one thing. It just does the binding that <clears> goes on to those seams that I was talking about earlier. It does nothing else. Um, yeah, and, and they'll have machines that cut webbing, you know, heat. Uh, with heat, it'll just slice through webbing. They'll have all these different things because, um, for instance, my fanny packs have 29 pieces of fabric in them. And I have to cut them oh, all by hand. Yeah, yeah. So that's an hour and a half of cutting or an hour. And then it only takes me an hour and a half to sew it. But there's three hours and half of it isn't sewing. 
Um, and so Chelsea's Chelsea's uh, investigating getting a laser cutter and uh, for numerous purposes, but one of them will be to cut fabric for me. So I'll be able to put five layers of fabric in there. We haven't tested it yet, but put five layers of fabric in there and it'll just cut all the fabric for me and I'll be able to start sewing. Right, right. So um, there's another machine. <clears throat> That'd be pretty... <laughs> Yay. Uh, uh, yeah, has but, uh, has Chelsea got involved in the game or is she kind of like, this is um, your thing? And No, not not really. I mean, she's made some 3D printed um, uh, things that help me sew, so guides and, and hemming tools. And, and uh, yeah, she makes <clears throat> mounts for our bikes and things. But, but on the sewing side of things, um, no, not yet. But, I mean, yeah, if we can start getting the cutting, laser cutting underway, then... She'll be able to do that. And That'd be pretty neat. A little bit of time, but you know, I'm not doing this as a you know full time business or anything. I, I find it <clears> really <throat> enjoyable. I'm just lucky that I can get a bit of an income for it, and more importantly, yeah. I meet a whole heap of people. Like I meet so many people through the custom making because you have to sit down and chat. So, yeah. Did you ever consider going full time into it, or is it kind of one of those things where you're like if it becomes your main yeah. job, your main source of income, and everything, and that you start to only think about the stressors of it, right? And then yeah. you kind of lose that fun. Yeah, I've done a couple of um, runs of gear when I've just wanted to make ten things and sell them just to pay for you know a new machine or something. Just yeah. to, I don't need the money; it's just in my head. It makes me feel better about it. Of course, and I'm the I same way. Really, yeah, don't. I really don't enjoy that. Um, so I I don't know. I mean, that was when I was doing it as a, a side hustle right. alongside my real job. And I don't know if I got up in the morning, <clears throat> jumped on my bike, went for a ride before I started my sewing, would I ever come back? Like, would I just ride all day? Because it was too much fun. <laughs> appealing to yeah, come yeah, home. Yeah. So I don't know. There's no way for me to know. But um, it would also be, you'd be sewing real hard to make a, a, a living wage. Yeah, yeah. I know a few people had asked me at one point, they're like, because, you know, it was called Bike Tour Adventures, and then I changed yeah. it to Bike Pack Adventures, and I've had a couple people over the five years reach out, and they're like, oh, I'd like to go on the next tour, and I'm like, I don't do tours. Um, oh, wow. I'm like, that sounds awesome, but um, I, yeah. I don't actually do tours. I'm not that kind of company. I'm a podcaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and then have had people say, well, like, maybe it's a calling. Maybe this is your sign, you know? Yeah. And I was like, dude, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I make pretty yeah. good money. I like yeah, my job. Exactly. I get yep. all summer off. I'm like, why would I trade that for the stress yeah. of trying to manage yeah. a, a bike tour business, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I've, I've shot a couple of weddings, like, in photography because I really enjoy photography. And that was great fun, you know, doing it for friends and relatives. But then, yeah, I think if you paid me to do it, it would be a, an entirely different thing and yeah, there's yeah. a lot of things I mean you know I could sew and work in a bike shop part time and do other things but also do I want to work in a bike shop um, you know so you know talk about bikes all day and then go for a ride and then sew bike bags yeah you know it could all, could all get a bit much but I do have a question know, um, it just popped into my head um, with regards to material what um, like what Denier, do you want to make bags with? Do you use two hundred? Do you use four hundred? What's the uh, the ideal? Yeah, it's a bit hard because every fabric is different. But a fabric that you would probably have in your house right now would just be uh, the Cordura. So that's 
it's not one of those membrane fabrics. This looks like a normal fabric that your school bag would have been made out of. It's very high quality and it's waterproof. Mm-hmm. And Cordura is a brand. And the easiest way, um, there's a, a basically the two main Cordura fabrics that you see around the place are 500 denier and 1000 denier. Okay. Now, 1000 is probably a bit too robust for what we generally use. You generally buy 500 um, to do what we do. But then if you go to um, X-Pack, uh, the feel of the fabrics, I don't, I don't actually know what Dania VX21 is. I just know that that's the fabric that I want to use for the bags that I make. And you can get um, VX15, which is far thinner, and I would use for a stuff sack or something. So, uh, okay. But they're the numbers that they've put. So it's a little bit like what we've um, talked about with the text of the thread. The, the brands come out with their own numbers and they don't quite correlate across brand and make, which is another reason it's hard to buy things, especially right. sight unseen over, uh, online. And it's another reason that... Um, uh, All right, just found it out. Uh, 21 is 210 denier face fabric. There you go. And that, that so sort of shows you. And that's the face fabric. That's not including the membrane <clears throat> that they stick to the back. Right, the membrane might be well. another 50 or 60 or something. So or? that's where it becomes really hard to know. But that's why the, the Cordura is a really easy way to understand it because it's basically just a fabric and then it has a waterproofing um, treatment done to it. It's not a membrane structure. Right. So 500 is probably similar to the VX21, but they're completely different materials. Um, so it's a it's a confusing one to start out with if you're just trying to look at numbers. Um, you sort of have to find something that you want to emulate and figure out what fabric they use. So you might be able to look at a bag you have and then check out the website and see what they use okay. and sort of do something similar. But yeah, it's it's really hard. So even the fabrics that I use for our bikepacking bags, um, the challenge uh, sailcloth fabrics is a completely different fabric again. It wrinkles differently, it handles everything differently, and it's a really loose. You said that's a, like a sailcloth fabric. Yeah, and um, so everything's just yeah. Every brand and model is completely different. And I'm pretty sure. The EcoPack fabrics are another different numbering system altogether. Oh no, they might be. I think it still might be EcoPack two hundred. But the EcoPack, yeah. it's uh, the one that's like refasten cells, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. The oh yeah, they're two hundred. Is two hundred down your face? Oh, there you go. So that's cool. So at least <clears> and the back. Oh, it actually out. tells you what the backing is. It's seventy D yeah. ripstop backing. Yeah, there you go. So, so I guess so, you're like two seventy, right? Yeah. So I have a friend who accidentally bought. Um, 200 or 250 denier cordura and it was just too thin for bikepacking bags like it just just didn't hold its shape uh, okay and if you look at that it's the same denier as the eco pack and the x pack but it's a completely different fabric oh, interesting so yeah so, on top of that so you like you're saying is like if you're making something big like a frame bag yeah, you're gonna want it to be more robust, so probably going to the 400 just, or something. So it's a little it bit heavier duty. Its shape. Yeah, it'll hold yeah. that shape better too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah what's yeah. um, what's the solution to like bag bulge? You know, um, that sounds weird. Uh- <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I've 
you can either build something into the bag um, so you can add a, a Velcro divider that you sew to either side of the bag and then just have it join in the middle, which holds the bag in. Or you just, you can make bags for your gear. So you just don't have all of your gear working its way to the bottom of uh, your yeah, yeah. frame bag while you're riding. It's like kind of like have just, cubes in there. Of, yeah. So yeah. I've got my med kit. I've got my tool kit. I've got my miscellaneous like water purifier and all that in a different bag. So in my frame bag, I've got three bags inside my frame bag. And when I want to grab something, I just open it up, pull the top bag off, pull the middle one out, unzip it and take everything right, out. Right. It never bulges. And so you can make different... them so they kind of stack perfectly yeah, going exactly. up your bag, so right? One of mine is a triangle and the other two are rectangular. So the triangle uh. fits down the bottom. Um, and so that's probably a really effective way of doing it. But um, if you've got a huge frame bag, like one of my mates, he was over six foot tall and he's he could almost fit all of my bikepacking gear into his frame bag alone. <laughs> and he needed really well-reinforced um, uh, support sort of dividers sewn into his bags. Otherwise, they would end up like hitting his knees. So yeah, it's all, it's all, yeah. That was one of my purpose. one of my things I didn't like about the Blackburn bag is because they had a yeah. Velcro divider, yeah, and it would always come undone. It would just uh, never yeah. hold, like you know, yeah. like you said, things shake. And I was riding pavement. Like imagine if yeah. I'd been riding single track or something, yeah. or they're flying down yeah. some trails. There's no way that would have held, you know. Yeah. And yeah. it really drove me nuts because, yeah. and I, I guess this is like you said, it's it's them trying to account for everything, right? Yeah, because it's yeah, commercial, yeah. it's got to be. Yeah. it can kind of tick all the boxes. Yeah, um, and, and they can add. You know, if they're mass producing in a factory, they can add every single feature under the sun to a bag. And um, whereas, yeah, if you're if you're a cottage maker, you haven't got the time to do that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And so when you and if you sew Velcro in, then all of a sudden you've added a bunch more holes to your bag as well. So there's yeah. always those yeah. things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I guess one other thing I didn't mention was yeah, it's really easy if you're making a frame bag or a stem bag to add cable egress if you're making it yourself. So you can put uh, cables going to batteries and dynamo setups and all sorts of things or water bladder. Uh, right. If you want to drink out of a water bladder while you're riding, all these sorts of things. So they're really simple things you can do if you're making your own frame bag. So because I run the K-Lite dynamo setup with the mm-hmm. USB charger, I just have the cables going through a hole in my um, stem bag at the front and then um, the charger's in there and I'll just put my battery in there and then a cable will come out the back of that bag down to my rear flashing light which flashes 24 hours a day so um, that's another yeah, really handy that's in your stem bag custom. you said huh? yeah I put it in my stem bag personally um, mm-hmm. but other people I've, I've also got cable holes in my frame bag on my current mountain bike and I can just because um, I don't have a stem bag on there yep and, uh, I, I yeah, found so. that uh, I found that my K light stuff it's it's sometimes it's a long reach to try to get yeah. to, to places yeah. right so it's, exactly. it, is, so it can be tough you know if you make your own stuff yeah you can sort of work around that mm-hmm. so. yeah it's hard I mean that's the only drawback for me I reckon of um, of uh, dynamo lighting you've still got the cable management to worry about. But, you know, that problem is far outweighed by having lights and charging all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's hard. So, you know, Kerry decides on the length of cable he wants to put on his um, 
bag and it's not on his uh, light and it's not right for everyone. It's way too short for some people and way too long for some people. Yeah, yeah. So, and I know on mine because I wear I use arrow bars, all of a sudden yeah. everything's further and it's oh, like, yeah. 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 Now there's some new stuff coming out, so make sure you watch that front with uh, from K Light. Yeah, it's really exciting. So cool. I'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know all you know all those guys, huh? Like, uh... yeah. Well, I sell I sell K Light lights, um, uh, but I'm good friends with Kerry. He's a yeah, really really cool guy, and uh, we chat a lot. And I test test his gear and give him feedback and um, oh, that's cool. yeah we're always tossing ideas around but he's got some really cool stuff coming up um there's going to be some launches on bikepacking.com in january and then uh yeah we'll go from there with some other stuff so it's really cool yeah do you um yeah it's interesting how things are changed like i mean there's companies i mean they're always innovating and coming up with cool stuff yeah. which is really neat um but at the same time it's like there's it's also quite shocking how the downturn in in bikes yeah happens yeah. so fast right oh wow it's crazy yeah <clears throat> i mean there's there was you know kona was selling one of their bikes two for one i saw it i saw things. that i was like that is nuts yeah i mean you posted that fat bike from costco was it? Where was it was a louis garneau it's not even How like is that even it's not possible? like north rock or whatever yeah. you know and so yeah it's it's sad uh, you know like you know, somebody somebody in the ottawa group had said like just the tires and wheels on that bike are worth a thousand dollars you know like Exactly. Like the tires are they're 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 yeah. terrain terrain cake eaters. They're three hundred yeah. dollars yeah. for the two, you know? Tubes are yeah. another fifty bucks each or something stupid on fat bikes. Yeah. And nah, uh, so it's really yeah, what a yeah. deal. Like so that's why I'm super uh, stoked to have uh, my wife come out on little adventures. She's not gonna do anything yeah. crazy, but uh Yeah. Yeah. I, I no, manpowered no, 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 no. I manpowered through it. I five hundred yeah. studs in her tires or whatever <laughs> it is. I got the blisters have healed and Yeah. I don't know. It's love. Like, you know, it's did, love. <laughs> did, did the bike makers think that the boom was the COVID boom was just going to stay around, or you know what happened? But geez, it's a buyer's market out there at the moment. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty scary. I mean, uh, if, if you're in, in the business of yeah. uh, more so bikes, I think um, yeah. bag makers and stuff, it's not uh, the same because a lot of it's on I, demand, right? Like unless yeah, it's like big it, companies, like some of the. I don't companies. think there's any um, <laughs> custom frame builders or custom bag builders who don't have a backlog of at least you know a month or two or and for, for frames it's just yeah eight months i think for a lot of makers. is it really so, huh yeah so it's um anyway i i never never worked my backlog down when i was making bags in australia and you know that was um yeah that was without any advertising all i had was an instagram account which i you know it was just and it's probably frustrating when you're you're trying, you know, like you just see this constantly. People reach out and you're like, "Hey, man, yeah. it's going to be like next season," you know? Yeah, no, I I was always uh, within a few days because oh, I okay. <laughs> love the excuse to sew. Yeah, yeah. So I could do a frame bag in about two hours, so it's not a. Big oh, really? Thing. Yeah, that fast? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so. Is that like um, left side pockets as well, or that's all? Kind yeah, of- so a pocket on either side. So yeah, a document pocket and a. Dip the pocket and then, um, yeah. If you want me, if I was making like uh, the, I made frame bags that you could divide, so you could take the bottom half out completely. Yeah, I've seen a few of those. I think in. I saw your pictures. Um, yeah, they were yeah, great. That was technically two frame bags, so that would take longer. Um, but yeah, just simple frame bags. They don't, yeah, they don't take. And do they just have a zip along them that you could just? No, I just, um, I personally just used to put a whole Velcro strip 
um, oh, right along down the that middle. joint, yeah, yeah. and that held it perfectly well. Um, so yeah, there's different techniques. I yeah, think yeah. Uh, Terra Rosa gear in Australia does this weird boning mechanism with all these sort of like piece of plastic that goes in there and it holds everything really well. There's millions mm. of different techniques for these things. Yeah, so. yeah. But I found the Velcro to be easy and it worked, which is um, yeah, sometimes simple is the Sim- best way. So, yeah, exactly. Well, hey, man. Because I, I, sorry, I was just going to no, say, go like the colours. One of the things people love about custom making. Cottage industry is they get to choose the colors, and so while I say that you know it took me two hours to make a bag, sometimes it would take people 45 minutes in my house trying to choose colors because they'd come into my sewing room and I'd have 30 colors there. Oh, yeah, so they've told me all the features they want of the bag, and I've traced their frame out and done everything I need to do, and then we sit around comparing colors. So, you know. If, you, if you're approaching someone like me, that's completely fine because I'm not doing it as a livelihood, but I can see how that would be difficult for someone whose time yeah. is money. Um, so, yeah. And yeah, when, you're, so. when you're planning, when somebody's planning a bag, is there a certain number, like number of colors and that uh, gets to a point where you're like, okay, no, well, it's going to cost extra because it's... No, nah, I just uh, I do what they want. But again, it wasn't my livelihood. So, right. Yeah, if, you're gonna, if it was going to... If someone wanted cable ingress and they wanted three different colours on the frame bag where I had to cut the material and sew it together and make a seam, you know, that might take me another hour and I mm-hmm. might add 20 bucks, which, you know, is less than an actual maker would make. But, um, yeah, as I said, I was doing it for fun and these, you know, most of these people were friends or acquaintances and this is still part of the deal. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, oh, that's so cool. Though. Well, I'm looking forward to, uh, to having a, a go at bag making just for yeah you know like you said it's just kind of one of those things you got to try it i'm i'm a firm believer in like trying things you know like that's yeah. why that's why i was out there grinding away at my car and putting anti-corrosion stuff on the bare metal and priming it and painting it and hoping it doesn't look like shit you know um yeah, yeah, yeah. i actually did it last year but i didn't do it right and uh it yeah, looked good at the time but then it started rusting through so yeah, uh, I'm terrified because we don't have uh, salt on the roads or anything like uh, this yeah. in Australia. And then we just bought a new car here, and I'm like, I wonder how long we're going to have Yeah, you guys got car. a Bronco, didn't you? Yeah, just a little Fancy Bronco. Fancy, you guys. <laughs> it's just, it's such a beautiful little, oh, we've never had a car that's not like, you know, a white van or something just yeah, completely yeah. utilitarian. <laughs> and uh, we ended up with this because I just, I, I'm not overly happy about driving a van, a front-wheel drive van in the mm-hmm. snow. So I just went with a little four-wheel drive. Yeah, yeah, nice, uh, beauty. Really They're nice-looking cars uh, or SUVs, yeah. I should say. Um, yeah. yeah. So, anyways, like now, actually, I was gonna say I got a rust hole, so I called my dad. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, what's the trick? How do I do it?" He's like, "Well, you can, if you can access it, you can weld it from behind and then put some bondo in and fill it." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, yeah. fuck! This looks like it's starting to sound like a lot of work." Yeah. Um, so I told him I'll wait till my brother's back from his holidays and get him to come help me because he's uh, yeah, he's pretty good at that stuff. Yeah, perfect. Sometimes yeah. it's good to learn with like somebody right there to show you what to do, right? So absolutely, yeah, that's the thing. Especially so, yeah, when it's we... like welding your car, and you're like, uh. <laughs> yeah, it's not something you want to learn on YouTube or anything. But um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, with the sewing, I think just get in there, be like, you you are going to make mistakes. That's what I'll say. Oh, for and, sure. Um, yeah, just uh, just keep keep patient, and then um, maybe you'll evolve your bags and well yeah, the good thing really is i can always fun. call my mom or call you yeah I could just be yeah, like, yeah hey, ty, i got a question yeah 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 
and then my my mom's also pretty good she's she's a sewer machine like people are always blown away at the stuff yeah. she makes and they're like yeah, she's just uh she's got skills um yeah, perfect. so uh oh last uh what was i gonna ask it was on top of my head i forget anyways probably wasn't that important um dude it's been really nice um can't believe Absolutely. it was an hour 37 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't get Time me started. Flies. I'm sewing. I'm bad with bad with bikes, but I love sewing. So uh, yeah, it's really good fun. Yeah, what's the most useful... what's the most interesting bag you've ever made? Something that well, people I'm... are like, "Whoa, that is really rad!" Or I, I made a um, a uh, well, there's two. There's one that I didn't make, but I was asked to make, and then there was one that I made. And so I made a uh, a rack bag for the front rack of a bike and it was sort of all multicolored and sort of cool. And then someone just said, oh, can you make one of them as a baby bag that you attach to the uh, stroller? And so I had to make this custom bag to fit all their baby supplies and then make it fit to a, a stroller instead of a bike. Oh, interesting. So it was a custom bag for a stroller instead of a bike. Now, it would have been really time, cool if it could be just taken off the stroller and mounted on the bag, the bike. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and then the other thing I made was a, oh, got asked to make, sorry, was a bag for a lady to travel with her parrot. So she wanted to oh, make wow. a bag that had a plastic, a clear plastic front on it that she could sit sort of supported by handlebars on a rack. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, we never got around to that because um, life got in the way. But that would have been an interesting one, I think. <laughs> I've seen a lot of animals go with people on bikepacking trips, but not a parrot. So, yeah, yeah. And do you uh, do you make your own? Like, do you use tool rolls and stuff like that for tools? Yeah, or yeah. I just make make all that stuff ourselves. Zip something up real quick, huh? There's literally there's nothing on our bikes that I didn't make, other than the bar roll, and uh, everything we own is in a bag of some description. Like every single thing, even my um, even my uh, Garmin Inreach has its own little pouch that'll attach to a bag so that it's not out in the open and all those sort of oh, things. Oh, okay. So, like every single thing, even our spoons for cooking has, has <laughs> bags. I was, so, I was just thinking like, do you just stand there and you like, look at the bike and you're like, Chelsea, what can we build a bag for right that, now? Like, that what? is exactly <laughs> what I do. <laughs> She's yeah. like, what about the spoons? Holy shit. <laughs> you're onto something. Well, it was literally like, we're going on this trip, this overnight, uh, this week with, all we had was frame bags and one fork bag each. And then I'm like, oh, I'll just make um, tool rolls to go under the saddle for our tubes because that gets the tubes out of the frame bag. And then I'll just make two more um, fork bags, bolt-on fork bags. And I made, uh, yeah, new winter hats for us and I finished Chelsea's jacket. So I made all that stuff really just for that trip, just in time for that trip. Oh, okay. Um, just to make it all work. So, yeah, it's really... Sadly, I, I was burning holes with a soldering iron into one of the fork bags and then put the soldering iron down on the fork bag and melted a massive hole through it. But oh, no. <laughs> managed to repair it. Um, but, so yeah. your fork bags, you just have them so they bolt right onto the forks? Yeah, right onto the forks. And then I just put a vilar strap around and it stops it from uh, moving backwards and forwards. Right. So I just put the, put the plastic, uh, that, that chopping board plastic mm -hmm. in the back of it, sewn into it. And then that holds all the weight, really, and the bag is just there to keep everything in place. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they work perfectly, and they take me half an hour to make. They're just roll-top bags that bolt on. and Yeah, simple things like that you can just make. Yeah, because it's um, like a roll-top bag. It's like basically two pieces, right? And, yeah. And a base. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah, I fold mine. I use this folding technique, so it's only two pieces, and oh, okay. it makes it way more waterproof. Like origami um, type so, thing, huh? Yeah. 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 It's really simple. And Sweet. Just, uh, You'll have to educate me on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, man, let's uh, let's end it here because uh, cool. I uh, I'm tired. We have to say thank you to the one listener that made it through the whole uh, podcast about sewing. Yeah, and, and do reach out and tell us who you are. You will win a prize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They probably already sew. They're just like, what's he talking about? Yeah. Oh, actually, there was the last question I wanted to ask you. Um, for starting off, I know a lot of the places, like I was looking at Re- Refasten, yeah. and you have to order, like you can order in half meter increments or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, I guess you don't need to order that much to start, right? Like, what is a... Yeah, well, that's that's a good point. So a normal um, a normal width of fabric is about 1.5 meters. It'll always say on the website. And okay. then they charge you, charge you by the half meter, um, generally. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you just have to make sure you look at what, what the width so, yeah, is. Just... Cause it can vary slightly, but not much. And then um, the good shots cut perfect. Uh, cut it perfectly straight at 90 degrees. Some shops just slice across and you end up with a, an odd sort of cut. Oh, okay. Disappointing because you end up wasting fabric. But mm-hmm. um, these days, most shops are really good and it'll be, yeah, it'll be about a half metre. Um, it also makes the, the sticker shock not as bad because I think if they were saying $50... Right, right. Yeah, but $25 for a half, I mean, uh, it doesn't sound as bad. Yeah, it's like $18 but, for a half metre, I guess, yeah. of... Uh... Yeah. I'm not sure what the width is. Um, It'll be like 67 inches or something. Oh, is it? Okay. So how many, how much material do you need to build? Like for for instance, a frame bag we're talking about. You could probably do it with half a yard for one frame bag. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyways, I'm probably going to go two colors. So I probably need to just put in two orders anyways. Right. So yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, that's awesome. All right, well, I'll let you go. You don't have to hang up, but I will end the recording. And, uh, man, we'll talk soon. we got to talk about your racing next time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, yeah. We'll just uh, try to do a a sales pitch for Australia. All right, sounds good. Talk to you soon. See you, man. Bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have any comments or questions, you can email me at chris at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. Head over to bikepackadventures.ca slash partners for some amazing deals. If you're enjoying the show and would like to become a supporting member, head over to www.patreon.com slash bikepackadventures to sign up. Patreons get to enjoy early access and ad-free podcast episodes. You can also support the show by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.